0: Starting out in verse 14, it says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing or complaining or anything else, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky and hold firmly to the word of life. Then I will be able to boast on that day, or on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labor in vain. And like I said, last week we went over this passage and uh, we spent 30 minutes on on just six words. But those six words are so important to our spiritual health because what the Word of God says at this point is that it's important for our, our Christian walk. Especially together, especially as as the body of Christ and individuals who follow Jesus Christ, who say we follow God, Paul brings us to a point where the Lord can point out how much two words really are involved in our life. The impact on our lives is huge. Arguing and complaining. Paul brings us to the point where we can ask God, Lord, point out these things in my life how much do I murmur? How much do I complain? Imagine that Jesus was on this earth for 33 years without complaining. I mean, that's a miracle upon itself, right? Yeah. Now, was he irritated? Of course. Did he point out the sins of the world? Yes. But he did it without the murmuring and complaining. Jesus was actually here. He is a role model here for us. He went to the cross without complaining about it. I would have been screaming and complaining the whole way. They would have had to drag me up there. You know what I'm saying? But he didn't. Jesus was here. He was persecuted by the Roman government. And from the Jews, he was, you know, the Jews attacked him and he didn't even complain about it. No one understood him, and he didn't complain. And Jesus is our role model on this, and his spirit lives in us. It says, do everything without complaining or arguing. And we looked up these words, and, and these words mean mumbering or, or grumbling or, or muttering and, or griping in a low tone. Because we're always right. And we talked about that last week, how, you know, we always feel like we're right. I mean, that's just the innate part of us. And then we hit the word arguing, it means questioning or doubting or finding fault or continually second guessing, disrupting or bickering. So the question is, how did you do this week? I mean everything was perfect in the ore household this last week, no one complained. Did you do better? Did you do worse? Did you do about the same, no change whatsoever? How did you do? Now, how many of you would say your husband did better or or would say he did better, but he didn't do better? Anybody? Lisa, put your hand down. She literally had her hand up. You know, come to find out, this is the human nature that's within us, and that's a human nature that fights against the godly nature, the, the spirit of Christ that's within us, and that, that battle that goes on internally. Uh, and this is just how it is. Oftentimes, our griping, or complaining, uh, you know, is around our financial status. But come to find out, those with money also gripe and complain. Anytime you have money, you still want more. So I don't think it has to do with money, right? I think it has to do with what's inside of us. The real challenge for us is to obey God's command, the cut and dry command from Paul that says, do everything without complaining or arguing. And this is hard. This is hard for every one of us. So, last week we looked at several different ways that cause us to complain or argue amongst each other and with anybody. And I'm not going to go back over all of them. um, But I do want to say that when we obey this command, we literally shine like the stars in the heavens. We can go polish ourselves up in a sense. And this isn't an act. It isn't a, you know, we can, you know, we can't act like we shine, right? Because people see right through it. Because we become dull again. We either are following God's command and obeying it or we're not. And it must come from the Holy Spirit within us you know, acting is a very, very interesting thing. Uh, These shows that have different actors on that we really just love the shows, you know, and so-and-so and and this guy and that guy or, or this woman and that woman, you know, come to find out that's their job. That's not who they are in true life. We picture them this way, but in true life, they're not that way. It's called acting for a reason. Especially if you read the tabloids, and I don't suggest you do, but I'm just saying that, you know, these are real people. You start to see who they are. They go home and they act normal. But being a Christian cannot be an act. We, we can't just get ourselves all ready for the part on Sunday and go and act like we're a Christian. It doesn't work that way because we are hypocritical at that point. And as a church, we can't afford to be that way. As followers of Christ, we can't afford to be hypocritical. We must act the same way in church that we act out of church. Now, for some of us, we go, okay, I kind of think I do that. And for, for others of us, we're going, no, no, no. You don't want me to act like I act in the world in the church. You know what I'm saying? But that's the thing. We need to be the same no matter where we are. And we must let the Lord change us so that we can really truly love each other. We must say, "Love, give me a super—I mean, Lord, give me a supernatural love for the person that is so obnoxious." Yeah. Oh wait, I'm sorry. We don't think of each other as obnoxious because we're Christians, right? That person that I just don't get along with. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we call that person the pastor, but I mean that's a whole other thing, you know. Give me a supernatural love for people that just grate on me. And it must be the Lord's will to do that work within us and act according to his good purpose. It must be God so that we can conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, as Paul says in, in another part of the scriptures. And to do this, we have to, you know, we have to interact with him on a daily basis. And that's why starting in February, and uh, we're going to hit this every week when I, I, I meant to get to the, uh, um, I'm going to make a half sheet and put it in the bulletin. And that way you guys can have more information about how we're, we're going to read through the Bible together. Now, I don't want this to take the place of, if you're already got something going and, and it's going well, I don't want to replace what you got going well. Okay. Just keep going that direction. But if you're not doing something, I want you to jump on board and start reading with us. And we can, on an app, we can get together and start throwing out different things that God is teaching us. Now, some people are going, I'm never going to get on an app and do that. That's fine. I want to make this as easy as possible. But the point is, we need to be in the Word. Or the Holy Spirit can't change us. God cannot change us if we're not going to God, right? We cannot imitate him if we're not around him. Do our children imitate us? Yeah, if our children aren't around us, if we're not around, can our children imitate us? No, so we have to be around God, right? We have to be with him on a daily basis. And the Apostle Paul, which knew Christ about as well as any man after Christ passed away, the relationship the Apostle Paul had with God, with Jesus, was amazing. He said in his old age, Lord, I want to know you more in this old age than I knew you when I was younger. I want to know you more. I don't know you well enough. And I've mentioned this before um, uh, and I think this is wonderful. My, my grandfather, he was 88 years old, And he was so excited because he bought a new set of commentaries because he was going to be teaching this class. And and he wanted a new set just to to get something that was different than what he'd already been studying. And he was 88 years old. That is awesome. I want to be like that, you know, at 88 instead of grumbling and complaining about life, right? I want to know you more. That's what the Apostle Paul said. Lord, I want to know why you made me. Lord, I want to know why you put me in this place. Lord, I want to know why you gave me these kids. Lord, I want to know why you made me and why you made me the way that I am. Today, we need to say, I want more of you in my life. And please let my attitude be the same as yours. Not so I can act like a Christian, because I really want to change. I really want to know you more. That should be our attitudes. We don't think about this often, and I don't think we realize how difficult it is for us to allow the Holy Spirit to pierce our heart, to get around the roadblocks that we put up, to go through the barriers that we've built, the things that we put in front of the Lord, going, okay, you can deal with this part of my life, Lord, but this whole other section over here, leave that alone. I, I got that taken care of, or I don't want you to see this, even though the Lord sees everything. But that's how we act, you know. I keep joking around with Grayson. You know, he, he's eight, you know, and you're, I'm like, I have eyes in the back of my head. He's like, no, you don't. I go, yes, I do, and I usually do this as we're walking up to our, our house, and he's like, you go in front. I'm like, well, I got eyes in the back of my head, and I kind of scoot over at our door, and I can see the reflection in the window of Grayson, and he's like, what am I doing? And he's back there doing this. I'm going, you're raising your right hand. You're waving it. You know, I keep telling him all this, like I have eyes in the back of my head, you know. He's eight. It's awesome, you know, and he's <laughs> a little confused about it, but that's how we treat God, right? Oh, this section of my life? Oh, you don't see this, God. God. But God sees everything. He literally has eyes in the back of his head, not like us. But for us to say, I would really like for you to change me, Lord. And it's going to make a mess sometimes. Sometimes God changing our life makes a big mess. But what a wonderful thing it is in the end, right? So, like cleaning out the garage. It makes a bigger mess before you're done. This is what the book of Philippians is really about. And Paul you know, could have said, just uh, you know, change your attitude. He could have given us the cliff notes, right? Hey, the whole book, just change your stinking attitude. Change the attitude of, in a sense of, you need to be more like Christ, um, and that's, you know, he could have written that on the letter and just sent it. But we need, we need more than that. This is why we get the longer version. This is why we teach through it here to understand it. This is why it takes 20 weeks to go through four chapters of Philippians because we don't just want to, you know, to think about it. We want to get very personal about it and say, has my attitude changed as I've gone through this book? The problem is for the majority of us, the struggle is allowing the Lord to implement it in our lives and that includes all of us, okay? That includes me. I fight the Lord just as much as you do. We come on Sundays and and then we need to say, Lord, I hear you, what do you want me to do with this? How do you want me to act? How do you want me to be? Instead of just going back to life. Do we apply these things to, to our lives on a daily basis? And that is the key, because if we do that, we can shine like the stars in the heavens. Now picture yourself as a star, right? You're all hot and shiny out in the sky. How do stars shine? How long do stars last? Think about that for a second. There's all these stars out there. Our sun, how long has it been around? Now, you know, some people would say millions and millions and millions of years. I'm, whatever, I'm, I'm going to go with the Lord. The Apostle Paul says that when we act like God, we shine. Another translation says the word beacon. We need to be the lighthouse on the coast. We just went up to Mendocino and, and saw the lighthouse. Now we have GPS, we don't need the lighthouse on the coast, okay? But before GPS came along, you needed that lighthouse because you could be hidden right for the coast when it's dark or when the, the fog comes up or a storm comes up and you wouldn't even know it and you would nail the rocks. A lighthouse gives you direction, it gives you warning. We need to get to the point in our lives where we act like everything up to Philippians 2.15. In other words, it gives us a warning in the area of our lives where we can say, am I acting like God or not? Am I acting like God or not? That's a hard one. That's a big one. Because in a sense, our lives shine. Either for God or against God. I want to be it for, uh, be it, uh, have it be for God. You know, we, we need to get to a point where we can look at our past and how we've messed up in life and start realizing that even though we've messed up, Jesus can come along and take all that stuff and make it into something beautiful for him. And he says, let me rebuild your life. And only he can do that to the satisfaction of ourselves, the satisfaction of living this life, and going, okay, I feel good about this. Only he can repair a wall that makes it where our lives are not in vain. We've all messed up in life, right? We could all commiserate commiserate and sit here and and we could all, What if? do, do we want to have a chief sin Sunday like we tell everybody our chief sins? No, we like to hide those, right? But sometimes, and I'm not saying we need to do this everywhere and every occasion, sometimes we need to say, I had this sin in my life and God confronted me and I changed my life and look at what God has done. And it's not me, but look at what God has done for me now because I turned my life around. That's the beauty of God. That's the beauty of his forgiveness of our sins. The Lord brings us through these difficult times in our lives and we can look back and say, oh man, I didn't think it was worth going through that. But now I can show other people and help maybe be a beacon, a light for them to avoid that same sin. You know, the apostle Paul is doing the same thing that Jesus did in Matthew 5. He was building up to something, and he built us up in, in Matthew 5. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. The scripture I read earlier, you know, you, you don't light a lamp and put a bowl over it, right? No, we want that light to be shined out before men. So we can choose to let our light shine or not. It's a choice. So I say, let your light be, sh- you know, be shining before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise the Father in heaven. You know, some of us love this thought. We go, okay, Lord, let me shine out there for you. But really, we're sitting there going, I really don't want the light on me. I'm not ready for that. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've said that to the Lord. Lord, you you really want me doing this? Because I'm not ready to do this. No, not me. We use every excuse we can to turn off the light and we choose not to shine for him, which hurts the Lord. And this is the reality that in our workplace that we basically live at, where you work. This is a reality for our school, where we go to school for those young people. This is a reality for, for our home, where we're at at home. If I'm spending more time with Jesus, it is like a light switch that gets turned on. It shows other people the path. If I'm spending less time with Jesus, the light switch gets turned off and it's harder for people to follow in the right direction. At some point, we need to start consistently acting like Christ. And that begins with consistently getting with God on a daily basis. It shows that your life, and at some point, you come across some crisis or some situation, something will click in your head and will say, man, I I need to be different because people are watching me. And we talked about last week how people watch us all the time. Some of us would say, just give me a shirt that says anything about Jesus and I'm going to wear it. And some others say, I just want to develop that relationship over time. I build the relationship and I just talk to other people about, about God and how God deals with me and about how I deal with difficulties in my life. In other words, you get two different personalities. One person's out there, Jesus, Jesus, you know, and just, they, they, it's just out front everywhere. Other people are like, let me develop those relationships and I will show them Jesus. Both ways can be good. For others, it's kind of like debating. You know, the apologists out there. um, It goes out there and they want to debate every little thing, and that's, that's just not me, you know? We have to be careful with that. It's good to talk. It's good to debate. But we have to be careful to do it with love. When we present God to other people, it has to be with love. Because you have to walk away from each other loving each other. We need to remember, Paul's not writing to unbelievers, he is writing to mature believers. But it's interesting. We need to not only shine outside the body, we need to shine inside the body. Think about that for a second. We always talk about going out and shining, but we never really concentrate on the inside. It's about being together. We want our church to grow in numbers, right? But I'm convinced it doesn't happen until we start growing spiritually. In verse 19, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered. Oh, did I switch that? No, I didn't. There we go. Um, I hope in uh, in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with a father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him to you soon, as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon." Paul has a desire to come to them. He writes to them and, and to us about Timothy. He mentions that they are good friends. They're like a father-son duo. You know, they have this great relationship. And Timothy actually shows up in 11 of the New Testament books that Paul writes. And Paul actually writes two books directly to Timothy. And we call those two books, those letters, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And, and if you're ever discouraged... Man, God has just too much for me to do. Timothy is a good book to read and to study. Timothy reflects the Lord. And we think the light is our own, you know. And, and uh, you know, here we have a, a young man who has slowly grown up and reflects the light of God. So the, the, what, what happens here is the Bible forms a word, pictures, uh, word picture for us. You can be a star like the stars in the heavens. You can be a beacon, you can be a lamp on a table, you can be a city on a hill, or you can just merely reflect the Lord's glory. You know, throughout the scriptures we see this. Um, Think about Moses being transformed into God's glory. I mean, Moses sees the backside of God, you know, up on the cliff, and he comes back down and and he's just like glowing, and people are like, dude, what, okay, you, you got too much light, you know. He puts the veil over his face. (laughs) Jesus said, make disciples. And right before he left, what did he say? Go into the world and make disciples. He made disciples. He gave us the, 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 the picture of how to make disciples, and then he commanded us to do the same thing. Paul saw great potential in a young man named Timothy. Timothy served Paul. And the healthy thing about discipleship relationship is the benefits to both people, right? It's not a one-way street when we disciple someone. It's not a one-way street where someone comes and says, I see potential in you. I'm willing to hang out with you. I'm willing to study the Word of God with you. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to feed off of another person? As Paul got older, the younger Timothy helped out. And when Paul started in ministry, he originally had a guy named Barnabas who was a son of encouragement. And Paul, you know, was up and down, emotional kind of guy a little bit, and he needed an encouraging guy around him during that time. And then eventually Barnabas went off and did his own stuff. So Timothy, this young believer, Paul saw himself, in a sense, in Timothy and began to say, you know what? Come on, let's go. Let me show you the things about God. And this is really cool, a two-way friendship, a, a discipleship relationship. The word discipleship literally means to follow around. It means to imitate. So what Jesus is saying, those who follow you around are your disciples. Are you leading them in a good way toward the light or not? So let's do this evaluation. Who has been a Paul to you? Have you ever had a Paul in your life? If you have, wonderful. If not, look for somebody who is more mature than you in the faith and see if you can develop a relationship with them. I wish I could take it and just go, okay, everybody sign up, everybody's willing to sign up, sign up, and just pair people together. But it doesn't work that way. The Lord has to bring people together in a relationship, in a friendship, in a discipleship relationship. So who's been a disciple for you? Who have you discipled? You know, this is hard, because discipleship has not really been taught enough in the church, I think. It hasn't been exercised enough in the church. So we get a whole generation of people that don't really disciple people. You know, it's about bringing in people to the church. It's about running programs, get groups of people who who follow the Lord together. But I think the church needs to Quit excusing itself for not caring about the younger generation of brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to care about them enough to disciple them. And it has to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say the Holy Spirit's gonna come and where you can have this power and, the, and then do nothing with it. He said, no, you, you need to do something with it. What's power? Power is the ability to do something. He said the Holy Spirit will come and teach you things. So maybe the Lord will teach you how to disciple someone. The Old Testament is full of examples of relationships if you want to dive into this. There's Elijah and Elijah. I mean, there's Elijah and Elijah. There's Moses and Joshua. There's Ruth and Naomi. Very cool discipleship relationship that that they're studying and, and they say, I'd like to have that kind of relationship with someone else. I'd like to figure out how to do that. So who's been a Timothy to you in the past? Who is now a Timothy to you? See, God didn't say, okay, once you've discipled one person, just stop. Who are you presently investing your life into? Who do you think shows potential? See, what a healthy body of Christ will do is where everybody, all the members of the body, get involved with each other's lives. Do you know of somebody that maybe shows potential for God and say, I want that person around me? What's unfortunate in the 20th century church uh, is we have pastors who have pulled away and decided that that's their job, and and the church has decided, oh, well, that's the pastor's job. The problem is the pastor can't disciple 40 people, and then some churches, 100 people, 300 people, 500 people, 1,700 people. You know, one of my churches that I worked for was a large church, and, you know, we had multiple services going on a Sunday morning. And he would have to go and hide between services because people would, in a sense, attack him on Sunday morning because that's when they wanted to talk to him. And he's like, people, right now I'm trying to get ready to preach and stuff. Call me during the week. Sunday morning isn't the time for that, you know what I'm saying? But, but for some reason, the church has decided that's the pastor's job instead of the church's job. But God calls us all to do this. See, a, a, a new way to say, I need to be hanging around someone who knows Jesus better than I do. Or I need to be hanging around someone that needs to know Jesus as much as I do. And not in a haughty way, Okay. But just saying, let me help me mentor someone. But the, but here's a big question: How willing are you? You, or, or how willing are you to say I can do this in the middle of my busy schedule? I'm willing to do this in the middle of my hectic life. I mean, really, how willing? Are you to spend time with someone else or to hold someone else accountable or have them hold you accountable? That's hard. Most of us think that, you know, most of us are like, I can't even imagine taking on another thing. I mean, I've got to raise kids, right? which brings an interesting point. For parents, our primary job is to lead our kids and bring our kids up in a godly way, and we may need older mentors to help with that, right? For single parents, we need to invest in them and help them along the way. Not to come in and take over, oh, you don't have a, a man in your life, let me be that man, and da da you know, to your kid. No, to, to, but to come along beside them and help raise uh, the children, right? It's good for us to do that. But I gotta warn you, when you start entering into these kind of relationships, you start investing a lot of time in it, it becomes rewarding. Because it's so cool to help someone else mature in Christ. It's a great feeling. So our primary, you know, when it comes to kid, you know, our primary disciples are our children. That means we need to raise them to be good in more than just sports, okay? Or good grades, or how to behave themselves. That's where we start, but they need to mature in God. So if you're a parent, the goal is to get them to be good Christian people in sports, to be good Christ followers while they're at school with their grades, to be great great, uh, you know, followers of God who behave themselves. That's where we start. It's important for us to, to teach our kids not to get involved in immorality or, or drug abuse or, or and to have good friends, how to choose good friends. Um, but we are also responsible for the spiritual discipline of our children. And God forbid I would ever spend too much time so that my children lack in the discipleship of what they needed from mom or dad. that We get involved in so many other things. Because what happens is we get older, all of a sudden mom and dad is not enough for them. We've become dumb, did you know that? If you're a parent, I mean your kids just, they think the world of you and then something triggers and all of a sudden you're the dumbest person on this earth. I don't know why that is. And I'm hoping to put that off as long as possible with my own children, you know what I mean? But at some point, we need other people to step into our spots to help disciple them. Not to take over being dad or mom or whatever, but to disciple them in a great way. Because we can be excellent role models. But we need to, you know, my wife is a wonderful role model for our kids on on what the kids should look for in a woman when they get to that age and hopefully put that off, you know, as long as possible, you know. But at some point, they stop listening to mom, so they need other older women to come in and go, oh, let me show you what you should be looking for in a woman one day when you get married. The same thing for the men. So we have discipleship of the children. We need to have discipleship of the teenagers. And we need to be discipling adults. So you might say, Alan, well how do I discipleship, you know, how do I enter into discipleship? I want to make a disciple, but I just don't know how. Well there's four different common denominators to this. Number one, seek the Lord and commit to the process at the same time. Commit to God, get into the word. Jesus is making a disciple of you so you can make a disciple of others. And then we can follow Jesus' way. Number two, you have to look for, like I said earlier, those natural connections. Because it can't be, oh, let me just grab somebody out of it. Okay, you're going to be my disciple. It doesn't work like that. You've got to have something in common, and the Lord brings those together. The worst thing you could do, like I said earlier, is to take everybody's name, just put it in a hat, and start picking out people and going, okay, you're paired together. It just doesn't work that way. The best thing you could do is look for natural things, like you're walking along, and you turn around, and all of a sudden you figure out, oh, somebody's following me. See who's imitating you, and that could be a scary thought, you know who's imitating you and then you lead them toward the Lord don't try to work up some super you know spiritual thing yeah, oh you need some help and i'm the person that can help you out you know i will be your apostle paul you know <laughs> or somebody coming up going i want to be your timothy when do you want to meet tuesday thursday work for you and then well we'll get into that saying thirdly test the waters it's almost like dating, and I, it's a weird way of saying it, but the right person in a discipleship friendship is important, so you pray about it, okay? You've got to have the, build the, the common uh, you know, denominator within that. Uh, you know, it's a friendship, not a program, and the church cannot do this for you any more than a singles bar can find you a mate, okay? The Lord does the matching. The Lord does the discipleship. Together and it it involves time. It shouldn't be, oh, we're going to meet every Tuesday, Thursday from five to seven, and your family doesn't matter, your job doesn't matter, your life doesn't matter. Basically, you need to be discipled, and who cares if it affects everything else in my life? No, it doesn't work that way. the The friendship has to benefit both parties. If I expect to, you know, somebody to disciple me, and then I can say is what do I have in this relationship to offer? At first you may think there's nothing, but that's not true. Everybody has something to offer. And the last thing I wanna say is you have to keep Jesus in the middle of any discipling. Because if he's not in the middle, you don't stay healthy. You don't stay, you, you got to be praying together. you got to intercede for each other. you got to develop those relationships. And the Lord calls us to disciple. So I love this. Paul says, Timothy is like a son to me. Were Paul and Timothy related? No. But Timothy was like a son to him because it was that type of relationship. And that is so important for us in a church body to be doing, for men to be discipling men, women to be discipling women. So look around, think about it, pray about it, and see who the Lord puts in your life. It may come today, it may come tomorrow, it may come next week, it may come a year from now. I don't know. But the Lord calls us to be disciples. So the question is, are we discipling? Are we willing to? To look at others and say, let me lead you toward God. Hmm. Well, let's pray as the worship team comes up and leads us out in some song today. Lord, we thank you so much that you gave us great examples throughout the scriptures of people who come together and become more like you together. May we have the relationships and the friendships that lead us toward God and not away from God. May we choose those wisely in our life. And may you be in the center of it all. The Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he smile upon you when you follow him and and leading other people to him at the same time. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.